Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? Well, hello there. This is Margot P. and Margot D. of Book Versus Movie. And if there's one thing we love, almost as much as we love books and movies, it's ghosties. Indeed. And we just love this podcast, History Goes Bump, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. We're so thrilled to be able to introduce you today. So tune in to History Goes Bump wherever you get your podcast. Get your little spook on and have fun with Denise and Diane and enjoy a little history. Bye, y'all. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 236th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. On this episode, we have another one of our haunted cemeteries. This is Haunted Cemetery 7, and we have four of them that we're going to talk about the history and hauntings in regards to. We want to welcome to the spooktacular crew, Angela. Hey, Angela. Matt. Hi, Matt. I'm not sure if this is Natasha or Natasha. Hello, Natasha, Natasha. Lacey. Hey, Lacey. Michelle with two L's. Hello, Michelle with two L's. And Anthony. Hey, Anthony. And now, this moment, Naughty. Anyone who's walked through a wet, deep forest has more than likely noticed that mushrooms have an affinity for growing on rotting wood. In some forests, these mushrooms give off an eerie, bioluminescent glow that has been nicknamed fairy fire. The more formal name is fox fire, but the fox part is not representative of the animal. The term refers to the French word foles, which means false, so basically the name means false fire. It is believed that the bluish-green glow of the mushrooms is from luciferase, which is an oxidative enzyme. The glowing attracts insects to spread spores and keeps animals from eating it. Documentation of this glowing oddity dates back to Aristotle in 382 BC. Foxfire is mostly found in the tropics, and just last year, a new variety was discovered at Riberia Valley Tourist State Park near Sao Paulo, Brazil. Foxfire makes fungus beautiful, but it certainly is odd. And now, this month in history. In the month 
month of December on the 2nd in 1982, the first permanent artificial heart was implanted in 61-year-old Barney C. Clark by Dr. William DeVries at the University of Utah Medical Center in Salt Lake City. Clark was a Seattle dentist who was suffering congestive heart failure. His illness was so severe that he was not a candidate for a heart transplant. The FDA had just approved an artificial heart for human implantation. The device was named the Jarvik 7 after Dr. Robert Jarvik, who was one of its key developers. The Jarvik 7 employed a heart-shaped pump that had an external pneumatic compressor that connected to the pump by tubes running through the chest wall, and this regulated blood flow. The threat of infection was high, though. Clark knew that he would probably not live long, but he wanted to further science. He managed to live for 112 days with the artificial heart, but it was an awful time for him. He suffered multiple infections and strokes and begged to be allowed to die. He finally did die on March 23, 1983. The final resting places we are covering in this Haunted Cemeteries episode are all very different with one thing in common. They are all haunted. The Waldheim Cemetery is a large conglomeration of several cemeteries within one cemetery that was set aside for the Jewish dead of Chicago. The famous specter here is a hitchhiking ghost. La Recoleta Cemetery is a graveyard that I've actually visited in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and it was amazing. The beauty of this was phenomenal. The architecture of over 4,000 above-ground crypts that were found there, beautiful. Old Gray Cemetery is a historic cemetery located in Knoxville, reputedly home to another black Aggie. And Stoll Cemetery elicits chills from just the mention of the name, because people who know the legend here knows that it involves portals to hell and visits from the devil. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of these four cemeteries. Very good lineup there. Woo, I'm looking forward to bringing these to everybody. First one up is Waldheim Cemetery in Forest Park, Illinois. Forest Park is a village and suburb of Chicago. The village was originally part of the larger city named Harlem. It was incorporated in 1907. The history of Forest Park is of great interest to taphophiles because it was once considered a city of the dead. And that's because there were so many cemeteries here, Denise, that at one time there were more dead residents than living ones. This kind of reminds me of the one that we talked about over in San Francisco. Yes, that's just like, wow. One of those dead residents is nearly as famous as her counterpart, Resurrection Mary. This hitchhiking ghost has the nickname Melody Millie, having been named after the nearby Melody Mill. The cemetery that she has to be dropped off at is named Waldheim Cemetery. Waldheim Cemetery is a Jewish cemetery that was established in Forest Park in 1870. The cemetery was divided into 288 separate sections, with each one representing a family group or a synagogue or an organization. Each of these sections had their own prices, rules, regulations, and individual caretakers. Most of the ornate entrances and dividing fences still exist today. There are reportedly 300 gates. The first Jewish internment was held in 1873. In those earlier days, a funeral procession would take quite some time to make its way to the cemetery. This all changed in 1914 when the Metropolitan Elevated l tracks began a special funeral route train. That route ran until July 13, 1934. Immigrant-based Jewish organizations kept up the care of the cemetery, but over the decades, these organizations faded away, and before long, Waldheim began to look neglected. Today, it has recovered with new efforts by the Waldheim Cemetery Company to upkeep the beautiful historic cemetery. 
There are estimated to be around 150,000 Jewish burials in the cemetery. So this is a very large cemetery. And what really makes it unique is, as you were describing there, Denise, it's like a bunch of cemeteries inside of one cemetery. So it's for all Jewish people, but it's like each group had their own section and they have all these elaborate gates and things to go with them. So imagine that 300 gates. Wow. I definitely want to go see this place. I know. I wish we would have known about it when we were in Chicago the last time because it's just outside of there. So, But we had to go see Resurrection Mary. I had no idea that she had a counterpart that was right nearby. I know. Otherwise, we would have definitely tried to make our way over there. There are a couple of famous burials here. The first is Clara Peller. Does that name ring a bell to you, Denise? Nope. Well, for anybody who was growing up in the 80s, it probably rings a bell to hear, where's the beef? Oh, now I have a major fail because I worked at Wendy's, so bad Denise, I should have known that. Indeed, Clara Peller was the little lady who became the Wendy spokesperson who would go around to these other franchises. They wouldn't put names on them, but you knew it was McDonald's and Burger King and she'd lift up the bun and it would be this little itty bitty burger on it. She'd be like, where's the beef? Because Wendy's, of course, goes over the bun. Well, she was plucked from obscurity to star in those commercials, and it was a boon for Wendy's. I'm sure everybody remembers who grew up during that time just how popular it was and how people would go around saying, where's the beef to all kinds of things. She was born in 1902 and worked as a manicurist until she retired, and that was when Wendy's came calling. She actually was fired from her spokesperson job after doing a commercial for a spaghetti sauce. So I don't know if she was like, I need to get a little bit more action going on here. Or I don't want to just be the Wendy spokesperson. And apparently she didn't realize that maybe she needed to ask before she went over to the spaghetti sauce. Yeah, that's usually a good idea. But of course, she grew up in a whole different time and way of thinking. So but can you imagine firing a little old lady? Let me see. Big boss, huge corporation. Yep, I guess so. She passed away in 1987. Another famous burial belongs to Michael Todd. He was a motion picture innovator and producer in the 1950s, but most of our listeners who know anything about old Hollywood probably recognize that name because he was at one time married to Elizabeth Taylor. I believe he was her third husband. Oh, wow. And the reason why their marriage ended is because he died in a plane crash, and that was in 1958. Albert Weinsanker is buried here as well. He was a gangster who worked for Bugs Moran, and that name is very infamous when it comes to the St. Valentine's Day Massacre that happened there in Chicago, and Albert was one of the victims in the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Well, there was so much stuff that happened in Chicago, but that's really cool. Melody Mill was known to the locals simply as The Mill. The Mill was a dance hall that opened in the 1930s and hosted young people until it closed in 1984. The young woman who haunts the road from the mill to Waldheim Cemetery is unknown, but her legend predates that of Resurrection Mary. That legend first began in 1933 and rose to prominence in 1938 when a band leader named Tiny Hill told the story on a WGN radio show. He had been performing at the mill and heard the story there. Apparently, a young woman had been dancing with three young men who all offered her a ride home. She accepted, and they got into the car that was one of the young men's, and they drove towards Waldheim Cemetery. She asked him to stop the car right outside the cemetery. She got out and headed into the graveyard. Two of the men followed after her, maybe because they feared for her safety, or perhaps they had ill intentions. Either way, those two men were found the next day in the cemetery, alive but driven insane by whatever they saw in the cemetery. 
Their driver friend who had remained with the vehicle was dead at the wheel. The story continues that a purse was left in the car and the police found an address inside. They took the purse to the home and were shocked when the woman living there told them the purse belonged to her daughter, who had died three years earlier. Even though there has to be a name connected to this legend, it has been lost to time. So we don't know. Is it a legend? Is she actually a ghost that's hitchhiking there along the road and was eventually buried there in wall time? Which I have to say it, beware of hitchhiking ghosts. There you go. Our next cemetery is La Recoleta Cemetery in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And Denise, it's really cool. This is a cemetery that you have actually been to. Yes, I have. It was an amazing cemetery. It was the first thing I ever saw like that with all the mausoleums and everything. What in the world were you doing in Buenos Aires anyway? Well, we went to a tango show. No, just kidding. I went to the um, 1999 World Championships for Taekwondo. So you were there to compete, but because you are a taphophile at heart, you said, hmm, I've heard that Ava Perone is buried over there and you wanted to go check out the cemetery. Absolutely, since Evita is one of my favorite musicals. Well, anything Andrew, Andrew Lloyd Webber. I really enjoyed that play as well. So I'm right up there with you. So tell us, what is it like? What does it look like when you go through there? Like a lot of the cemeteries here in the United States, well, at least the ones that I've been able to go to, they have mausoleums, but they're kind of smaller, a little bit more intimate. The ones at La Recoleta were huge. It literally was like you were walking through a neighborhood. They're really tall walls. Things were very obscure. You couldn't see past one to the other until you like kind of got past it. Sort of like if you're walking down a block, you can't see the houses on the other side until you turn the corner. And so it was just massive and these beautiful mausoleums. And it was quite impressive. Was there a lot of statuary and such in there? If I remember, yes. Sometimes all the cemeteries start to blend. But what I remember the most were how big and beautiful and ornate the mausoleums were. And you also remembered that it was a pretty creepy cemetery too, but not because of anything that was haunting it necessarily? No, it it came to our attention that we might be being followed by, I guess, for lack of a better word, some local hoodlums. And we just noticed like twice, two or three times in the cemetery that the same group of young men had poked their head around the like corner and then and then like hid back behind where they had looked around. And they kept ending up in the same places of the cemetery where we were walking. So pretty much after we realized that, we decided to exit the cemetery and head into a little bit more populated area of Buenos Aires. Probably a good idea because with all those big mausoleums, it's it would be pretty easy for somebody to hide and jump out and get somebody and rob them or what have you. Not that we're saying that this cemetery is that kind of cemetery. It could have been the fact that uh, there were two of you beautiful women that were walking around and maybe they were just trying to sneak a peek. That could be a possibility too, but either way, we headed out into the, uh, the populous areas. Well, as you're pointing out there, there are many diverse burials at La Recoleta Cemetery and very ornately decorated. A few have fallen into disrepair, revealing the brickwork beneath the marble. Did you notice any of that? I mean, like any older place, yes, there were places that were less, less than kept up. I think part of the problem is if you don't have the family still alive to upkeep it, who else is going to do it? Different architectural styles are found here. You can find Baroque, Neo-Gothic, Art Deco, and Art Nouveau. It was after the Argentinian War for Independence that a plan was put forward to create a cemetery worthy of the wealthy elites living in Buenos Aires. The location that was chosen had been a former monastery to the Order of the Recoletos. This order was part of the Franciscan order, and the Recollect Fathers had established the neighborhood of Recoleta in the 18th century. 
Their chapel, Our Lady of Pilar, was built in 1732 and still stands. Did you happen to see that? I can't definitively say yes, but probably, well, I don't know because it was huge. So I don't know. The graveyard opened in 1822 and encompassed 14 acres that was designed by French civil engineer Prospero Catalanad. His design has the cemetery broken into areas similar to city blocks with wide tree-lined walkways, which is kind of what you were describing, that it looked like you were like walking around these city blocks. The entrance features tall Doric columns and neoclassical gates. The cemetery was initially named Cementerio del Norte and was on one of the highest points in the city. The name was later changed to Cementerio de la Recoleta. There are around 4,000 burials with many important and famous burials that include Argentinian presidents, the founder of the Argentine Navy, Nobel Peace Prize winner Luis Frederico Lalor, the illegitimate granddaughter of Napoleon Bonaparte named Isabel Wolowski Colonna, and Eva Perón, made famous in the play Evita. Eva Perón was born in 1919 as Eva Maria Durate. Her early life was one of poverty, and she moved to Buenos Aires as an adult so she could pursue acting and singing. She met Colonel Juan Perón in 1944, and the two married in 1945. Juan was elected president of Argentina in 1946, and Eva got heavily involved with politics at this time as well. She spoke on behalf of labor rights, women's suffrage, founded and ran the charitable Eva Perón Foundation, and founded the Female Peronist Party, the nation's first large-scale female political party. She decided to run for the office of vice president of Argentina in 1951, and she received wide support. The nation's military and elite opposed her, though, and when she was diagnosed with cancer, she withdrew her candidacy. The cancer eventually killed her at the age of 33 in 1952, and Eva Perón was given the title of spiritual leader of the nation by the Argentine Congress. Her corpse was put on public display for two years, disappeared for 16 years, was shipped to Spain where Juan and his new wife kept it in their dining room on a platform, and finally was buried in the Durati family crypt. So she sure got around when she was dead. Holy cow, that, that's just creepy having her body displayed on your platform. Yeah, I'm not sure if you could see her or if it was just that they put the coffin in the dining room on a platform. I guess it makes it a conversation piece. I think the main thing was what happened is she was on public display. She was one of the first people I think that they'd ever embalmed in Argentina, actually. And they kind of wanted to give it the whole Lenin thing where you would be able to see her all the time. And so for two years, that's that was the case. And then, of course, her husband got overthrown and he was thrown out of the country. So then it's like, oh, what are we going to do with her body? So I don't know where it went for 16 years. I don't know if they put it storage somewhere or what. And then finally, I don't know if the military backed down or something. And then that's when Juan was able to get the body sent to him. And then he came back to Argentina and was voted in as president again. And that's when her body was brought back and put where it is today. You actually got to see the crypt, right? Yes, that was the main one that we went to see. So yes, I did get to see where she was buried. There are several spirits who haunt the cemetery. One of these spirits is said to belong to a former gravedigger at La Recoleta named David Ayeno. He loved the cemetery and all the beautiful architecture of the various tombs. He himself wanted to have a grand final resting place, and so he would put all his earnings toward his burial plot. When you talk about how big and grand these are, you can see why he would have to put all of his money towards that. When he had enough, he commissioned an Italian sculptor to make a statue in his likeness. After everything was completed, Ayeno committed suicide. It is believed that his spirit roams the cemetery because of the suicide. 
Visitors claimed to hear the jingle of his keys echoing throughout the property. So he saw that it was completed and said, oh, why wait? Let's go ahead and get me buried in there. Yeah, or it could be that he was afraid that somehow he would lose it if he didn't get in there soon or something. I don't know. I don't know, but it's a pretty weird reason to commit suicide, I guess. Another of the ghosts is believed to belong to a woman named Rufina Cambaceres. She was a 19-year-old girl of a wealthy family living in Buenos Aires in the late 1800s. Rufina had been getting ready for a night out on the town when she died suddenly. She was put in a casket, taken out to the cemetery, and put in the family's mausoleum. Cemetery workers were doing a regular patrol of the grounds. When they looked in on the Cambaceres mausoleum, they saw that Rufino's coffin had been moved and the lid was no longer properly set. This made them believe that grave robbers had come to take away the jewelry that Rufina was wearing. They opened the casket and saw that her jewelry was still there, but her body was in a sad state. She was covered in bruises and there were scratch marks all over the inside of the casket. She had actually been alive and just in a coma when she was placed in the coffin. Theories claim that she had suffered from cataplexy brought on by narcolepsy. Cataplexy is a sudden weakening of the muscles caused by the destruction of the neurotransmitter hypocretin. Hypocretin regulates the awake cycle, so poor Rufina was conscious of everything going on around her, but unable to respond. And when she was able to respond, it was after she was already suffocating in the casket. It is for this traumatic reason that people believe she walks the graveyard at night. Some believe she is trying to unearth bodies to make sure no one else has been buried alive. The mausoleum is beautiful and features a stone statue of the young woman leaning upon its door. So I was looking to see, is there any evidence that this actually happened? And there is no documentation that this young woman had been buried alive. But then I was like, well, did she even exist? And she does. And there is this mausoleum. And I believe that that stone statue on the outside is supposed to represent her. So don't know if there really was this young lady who was buried alive. We know it happened. So it is very likely that it did happen to her as well. And it would be a reason why she would be seen walking around the cemetery. Well, if she was from a prominent family, there would probably be a pretty good reason to keep that hush-hush, too. Oh, can you imagine? I mean, the scandal of it all. And especially the doctor who said, yep, she's dead, had a heart attack or something. Okay, she's 19. Most 19-year-olds don't just drop dead. Judy wrote of her visit to the cemetery, For those of you sensitive to different energies, I can tell you that at least a part of the cemetery is haunted. The energy was extremely heavy and very uncomfortable. Some of the spirits aren't friendly. I told my friend and we walked to a different area and the negativity didn't follow. Unfortunately, I didn't protect myself well enough and woke up the next morning sick. If you're sensitive to energy, take some precautions to protect yourself. Now, you said you didn't really feel anything heavy there. Of course, you're not sensitive and such, but you did get a little bit of negative energy coming from some young men following you around. Yes, this is true. So interesting. Sounds like a great cemetery to visit, especially as a taphophile. Yes, I I wish I could go back to it because I was just starting to look at things like that. And so I wish I could go back and see it today with more knowledge of cemeteries and stuff. And next we have the Old Gray Cemetery. And this one was actually suggested by Tammy McCarroll Burroughs. Old Gray Cemetery is located in Knoxville, Tennessee, and it is the second oldest cemetery in the city. The graveyard was incorporated in 1850 and is the final resting place of many prominent people from Tennessee. The architecture here is Victorian in style, and thus, this is also a garden cemetery. Victorian angels make up the bulk of the statuary, and there are many obelisks as well. The winding avenues spread out over 13 acres. 
Old Gray is named in honor of Thomas Gray, who was an English poet during the 1700s. He wrote the poem, Elegy Written in a Country Churchyard. Mrs. Henrietta Brown Reese, who was the wife of the first president of the Cemetery Board of Trustees, suggested the name Gray. It was called simply Gray Cemetery until a newer cemetery was built in 1892, and then this became Old Gray. Old Gray was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1996. Apparently, she was a big fan of the poet Thomas Gray, and that's where she pulled the name from, and probably because he had written this poem about a graveyard. And so she was like, that'll be perfect. The first person buried in the cemetery was William Martin. An exploding cannon fired during a July 4th celebration, and it killed him. He was buried in the northwest corner of Old Gray on July 15, 1851, before the cemetery was even completely laid out. The cemetery is the final resting place of over 9,000 people. These people include those who died during Knoxville's 1854 cholera outbreak and victims of the 1904 Newmarket train wreck. This wreck involved two Southern Railway passenger trains that collided at high speed near Newmarket, Tennessee, and apparently they were both going 100 miles an hour, so you can imagine those two hitting each other. This occurred on Saturday, September 24, 1904, and killed at least 56 passengers and crew and injured 106 people. The crash was heard as far away as 15 miles. Old Gray Cemetery is part of the Civil War Heritage Trail, and there are many dead from both sides buried here. The Horn Monument has a life-size sculpture of a Confederate soldier and marks the graves of two Confederate veterans. William Asbury Horn, an assistant quartermaster with the 42nd Georgia Infantry, and John Fletcher Horn, who was a sergeant with the Kansas Bottom Tennessee Artillery. One of the more well-known Tennesseans buried here is William Rule, who was an American newspaper editor and politician. He founded the Knoxville Journal, which was published from 1870 until 1991. Rule served as the mayor of Knoxville twice and published the city's first comprehensive history. Eldad Cicero Camp Jr. was an American coal tycoon, attorney, and philanthropist who lived in Knoxville in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. He was president of the Coal Creek Coal Company and was one of the wealthiest men in East Tennessee. Charles McClung was an American pioneer and surveyor who platted out Knoxville. Lizzie Crozier French was an American educator, women's suffragist, and social reform activist who was one of the leaders for the push for women's rights in Tennessee in the early 1900s and helped the state become the 36th state to certify the 19th Amendment to the United States Constitution. One of the spirits at Old Gray is believed to belong to Herb Evers, who was a cowboy that died in Knoxville's first and only duel on Market Square. Denise, you're going to love why they had this duel. Apparently, the duel was a fight between Evers and one of his neighbors. Okay. Evers owned some sheep. Okay. And his neighbor took a liking to one of those sheep. And so he stole it? Not quite. He had an amorous liking to one of the sheep. Ah, one of those. So he was having relations with this sheep. Obviously, this really angered Evers and he challenged him to a gentleman's duel. And I suppose he's even angrier now because he lost the duel. And so that might be why his spirit roams the cemetery looking to settle the score. I would hope that his neighbor had to leave town out of embarrassment. East Tennessee Paranormal Society member Eric Huckabee claims to have captured a picture of Evers using a Sony Mavica digital camera. He said of it, I snapped the photo and ran like hell back to the safety of the nearest street lamp. Now, I haven't seen the picture, so I don't know if he actually captured it or not, but he claims to have done that. Another supernatural being that roams the cemetery is a dark, shadowy figure known as the Black Aggie. 
This is not the same spirit as the one we covered on an earlier episode. This mysterious shadow weaves between the tombstones at night, and it seems residual as it rarely interacts with people who see it in the cemetery. Still, others claim that Black Aggie is an aggressive spirit and has chased after them. So this is quite different than the other Black Aggie that we talked about, because that was a statue that people believed was possessed in some way and could cause people to die, and finally got moved out of the cemetery that it was in and was taken over to Washington, D.C., This one is not connected to a statue in any way, and we don't know what it's connected to. It's just this black shadowy figure, and I'm not quite sure why it got the name Black Aggie, but it just seems to roam around for some reason. Don't know if it's connected to somebody buried there or if it's just some other spirit who likes to hang out. To me, when you have a residual spirit inside of a cemetery, I think that is more someone who came to visit somebody's grave because how can you be residual if you're buried there? Um, That's a good point, Diane. Yeah, you're not repeating something that you've done unless you're just laying in your coffin. So it seems to me like it would have been somebody who was visiting and maybe wore black when they were doing that. And that's what kind of freaks people out. But then there are some who claim that it's been aggressive towards them. So I don't know. Well, now, wearing black wouldn't be that weird if it was a mourner. No, definitely not. I mean, we've heard of women in black. I believe there's one in Central City that is residual that visits the graves there. Next up, we have Stoll Cemetery, and lots of you have probably heard of this cemetery. It's named that because it's in Stoll, Kansas, which was founded in 1856 and originally called Deer Creek. German and Pennsylvania Dutch were the first settlers here, and they erected the Evangelical Emanuel Church on land donated by Jacob Hildenbrand. He later donated land to be used as a cemetery, and the two are side by side to each other. Sylvester Stoll ran the post office when it was opened in April of 1899, and residents started referring to their town as Stoll. I don't know if they just liked his last name or if because the post office was his, it was named after him, and so they just kind of went hand in hand. But that name stuck, and even when the post office closed in 1903, the town continued to be called Stoll. Stoll was never big, and the population never exceeded 50 residents. In the early 20th century, many businesses tried to start in the town, but eventually people just moved away, and today the church and its cemetery, known as Stoll Cemetery, are abandoned. There are still a few homes here and around 20 residents. Legends abound about the tiny church and abandoned cemetery. Stories incorporate witchcraft, satanic rituals, hunting experiences, and the infamous Seven Gateways to Hell. A haunting wind is a popular legend. One story claims two young men were visiting Stoll Cemetery one night and became frightened when a strong wind began blowing out of nowhere. They ran to their car and found that it had been moved and turned around. Another man claimed to experience the same wind inside the abandoned church. He said that it felt sinister and knocked him to the ground. The wind then held him down. That freaked me out if a wind all of a sudden was holding me down. It makes you wonder if it wasn't some kind of a spirit rather than wind. Right. Trying to think, there was another episode that we did, I believe it was over in the UK, and it seemed like there was a wind there that was kind of a ghostly wind that would blow around, it was either a church or something like that, I can't remember. We've done so many episodes, Denise, they start to crisscross. I know, that's why sometimes I'm like, wait, was that this cemetery or that one when we talk (laughs) about ones we visited? The student newspaper at the University of Kansas is believed to have started many of the legends that are associated here. In the November 1974 issue of the University Daily Kansan, an article claimed that the devil himself appeared in Stoll twice a year. He would come on Halloween and on the spring equinox. Following this story, rumors started circulating that there were seven gates to hell within the graveyard. Students have made it a rite of passage to visit on Halloween and the spring equinox to see the devil. 
They've done a lot of damage, and now the police arrest anyone trespassing. So occasionally it is open to the public, but on these specific nights, it is not. They definitely close it down for that. They do not want people coming around. And I loved it. Uh, I was looking at some stuff that Troy Taylor had written about this, Denise, and he made a really good point. The one night they were all there to see if they could capture any evidence on camera, and the police kicked him out and said, you got to get lost. And he said, you know, what's kind of foolish about this, because I I believe the press was there too, so it wasn't just a bunch of kids and ghost hunters. He said, wouldn't this have been a great way to say, well, look, see, the devil did not show up, so stop coming out here because he doesn't come. It was just a legend. I know, but we can't be that simple, right? Yeah. And I mean, it would also help if people who visit these cemeteries on Halloween, that's great. And if you want to check out and see if the devil's coming through, fabulous. But clean up after yourselves and don't trash the place. Then people don't care if you come and hang out. A fun fact about this cemetery, the season five finale of the show Supernatural is set in Stoll Cemetery. And the creator of the series, Eric Kripke, claims that he had made Lawrence, Kansas, the hometown of Sam and Dean Winchester, because of the city's closeness to Stull. So he definitely had an affinity of the legends there. Why would the devil choose such a small town? Apparently, there was an event in the 1850s when a stable hand allegedly stabbed the mayor to death in the cemetery's old stone barn. Years later, the barn was converted into a church, which in turn was gutted by fire. A decaying wooden crucifix that still hangs from one wall is thought to sometimes turn upside down when a passerby steps into the building at midnight. But there is more than just that. Yeah, because I don't know why that would all of a sudden, I don't know if it's the energy around that that would attract the devil. But there also is an old tombstone near the church that bears the name Wittich, which is W-I-T-T-I-C-H, which could be interpreted as witch, kind of, sort of. And a tree that used to stand nearby that tombstone had supposedly been used as a gallows for condemned witches. And again, this is a small town, so how they had that many witches in the small town to condemn and hang from the tree, I don't know. A grave in the cemetery is said to hold the bones of a child of Satan who was born of the devil and a witch. The child only lived a few days due to its deformities. People claim its ghost hangs out here, but has grown to the size of a boy that someone claims to have captured a picture of and that he resembles a werewolf-looking-like boy peering out from behind a tree. Haven't seen that picture yet either, so I'm not really sure that somebody captured that. I've heard about Stoll Cemetery many times, Denise, and it's one of those, it's kind of like Bachelor's Grove, where you mention it and everybody goes, ooh, gives you just chills, the name of it. Uh huh. But it seems that their reputation kind of goes beyond them, because a lot of this just seems to be legend that somehow got started, and I don't know why, because it's just this little town with hardly anybody there, and we know legends usually don't start out of nothing. So what happened here that caused this story to get started to begin with? That is, no, I'm just kidding. That is for everybody else to decide. It could just be that you had some of these kids in the chapel, this weird wind came along, blew them down, and then bam, it must have been the devil, and then they got this whole story going. That very well could be, especially if there's a little bit of hysterics in there. Mm-hmm. Each of these cemeteries features at least one haunting tale. As is the case with so many cemeteries, legends abound most of which have no basis in fact. Are these cemeteries truly haunted? That is for you to decide. Lots of new cemeteries to wander through, and I know Tammy had suggested Old Grey because she's visited there several times, and I believe she did cemetery bingo there, and it sounds like it's got a lot of symbolism there because it's Victorian in nature, so there'd be a lot of symbols to see. Yes, well, Knoxville is definitely on the upper part of our bucket list travel, so we will be going there soon, hopefully. 
We encourage you guys to check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where could they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We did hear from Jennifer. She said, Hi, ladies. My city, Philadelphia, celebrates Dickens at Christmas by opening a walk-through town display in the old John Wanamaker building. You can walk through and see scenes from the book. I'm 49, and I remember doing this as a child. They still do it. Do come to Philly and check it out yourself. It's free. We so like very that cool. price. Yes, free is always good, and that's very cool. And I'm betting, I can't remember, I know Dina always kind of covers the Christmas stuff in Philadelphia on her podcast. I'm not sure if she did this in the last one or if this is going to be in her upcoming episode featuring that stuff. But uh, yeah, very cool. We do have some reviews to share with everyone. Denise, we got our first review from Switzerland. Oh, very cool. Was it a neutral review? Ha ha ha. (laughs) It was a nice review. It was a five-star review. Good. The review is by Kimmerish. I hope I said that right. My very first podcast. Love it so much. Great quality of content. Very nice hosts. It's nice to learn something new about U.S. history in a very spooky way. Well, thank you for leaving your review for us. And I'm glad that we were your first one. And Denise, we haven't done any haunted locations in Switzerland yet, have we? No, but we should sure start looking for one. I think we better do one. The next one is from Jag9485. The perfect mix of history and haunts. Five stars. Great show. The show is very thoroughly researched and the fun back and forth between the hosts added with the spooks of their subjects makes for the perfect mix. I also love to travel. And before I do, I like to research the history and the haunts of my destination. Through this show, I get to travel via the podcast once a week. Also through social media and their online presence, the community that they have created is wonderful. Thanks, ladies. Well, thank you. And as we always say, we love our community. Ollie 098456, awesome five stars. Love the history and the hosts are delightful. War at Them, in love, five stars. I stumbled across this podcast and immediately fell in love. Perfect mix of history and haunted. Diana and Denise are wonderful. Love all the interesting facts they provide, especially about cemeteries. I look forward to each new episode. Thanks, ladies. Well, I bet you loved this one because it was all about cemeteries. Thanks for leaving those reviews. We appreciate them. And just a quick reminder is we get, are getting close to December 31st, 2017. The registration for the 2018 trip, History Ghost Bump trip to Key West is due. So just uh, make sure you don't set that at the bottom of a pile and get that into us because we're looking forward to hosting you. And we also have our t-shirt design contest. So make sure you get that done. Those are due by December 23rd at midnight Eastern time. I want to thank you guys for tuning in for this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producer, Quinn Marie Sucher. Hope I said that right. Thank you to Melissa Weeb for your one-time donation. And we'd like to thank Jennifer Mallory Welch and Christine Klein for increasing your donations. Thanks. Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. We would greatly appreciate your review at iTunes as well to help the show grow. Thank you.